0: All right, uh, welcome to the State of the Lakers postgame show presented by Dash Radio. Jason is out tonight at a holiday party um, enjoying himself, and he missed, uh, missed probably the Lakers. Not the best win, but at least it was a good win. But uh, my brother Vinay is here to fill in. <laughs> I appreciate you coming on because, like you're the honorary member here when <laughs> any of us <laughs> need a night off. Uh, but Vinay, how are you doing, man? I appreciate you coming up uh, and, and filling in for, for Jason here.
1: I'm, I'm doing good, man. Uh, I, I'm exci- not excited, but I'm going to say I'm, I'm happy, relieved. I think relieved is the right word after yeah. sitting at the edge of my seat uh, against the OKC Thunder uh, in, in the middle of <laughs> December <laughs> after what happened the previous two games. I, I'm relieved that you know this team came back, uh, the Lakers came out and, and played well today and finished, a, finished the game uh, with, with no major drama.
0: Yeah, I don't know about you, but this lead never felt safe to me. Like I just never felt comfortable. <laughs> yeah, they were up twenty. They were up twenty five, and I was like, and I, we were even texting like, this lead was never safe. It went down to fifteen, and you could see kind of the wheels coming off. But LeBron, you know, as he does, came back in and kind of settled things down. But yeah, OKC, uh, we were lucky tonight. It felt like Shea wasn't really as aggressive as he could have been. This is a bad team, right? Preface before we get into all the stuff. OKC is a bad team. I have no clue how we lost to them twice uh one of them at home uh i believe in overtime or whatever it was uh but yeah it's good to get a win uh they look they look serious tonight lebron looks serious and and we'll start with him uh i want to ask you about him because i feel like it's been trending upward with lebron like he looks incredible i can separate lebron from the team the team hasn't looked great but lebron to me has looked awesome he has bounce as Stu says uh, to him the jumper looks on it looks clean uh, the form looks good he just looks in rhythm and I thought there was a seriousness to him tonight where he set the tone again Uh, I thought he set the tone in Memphis as well but but tonight it just seemed at a different level I didn't see him smile once I tweeted that like he's not always smiling during games but usually you see him joyful I didn't see him joyful at all tonight no smiling and there's not much to smile about I guess Uh, but what'd you see from him because I thought LeBron looked pretty good tonight
1: yeah, you know, uh, you know, aside from, like, his shooting splits and stuff like that and just the efficiency overall, I, I thought mm-hmm. he was all business today. And right. that is something that this team sorely, sorely needs because, you know, the theme of, like, these past 26 games or whatever has just been, like, just like this ragtag, n- no consistent – like, they're consistently inconsistent. And, um, you know, like, obviously a lot of it has been without Braun, But I thought this game was a- was a nice, like, full 48 minutes or however many minutes, um, you know, Braun actually played where like the execution was just kind of clean. Like there's probably a couple of moments in the game, like towards the end uh, of the first half, um, maybe small pockets in the second half where the team looked like it was kind of going away from itself. Like the, the pace was coming out of the control. They were like chasing guys around and, and mind you, they gave up a crap ton of open threes that did not go down today. So I don't think that's going to be for other teams. But I think, you know, just it seemed like he wanted to make sure that everybody was engaged and nobody was just kind of loafing around with their minutes that were on the, on the floor. And it it seemed like the ball was being moved around with purpose. Like that, it it felt like very purposeful offense for a lot uh, of this game. Um, and, And I think that's a good thing because that's what you want, man. That's, that's, that's what good execution looks like.
0: Yeah, definitely. He just looked determined tonight. There was, it was all business, all seriousness. And again, prefacing everything with OKC and you're right OKC missed a lot of open threes we also got Avery Bradley turning into Ray Allen which I don't think (laughs) is going to happen every night but those are shots that he should be taking Uh, I think at Pickup Hoop also posted that after tonight Avery Bradley shooting like 41 percent from three I looked at the numbers he was shooting like 34 percent on wide open threes which, which isn't great for your starting pointer or starting shooting guard but yeah LeBron just looked awesome tonight and the lineups were a little bit better for him. Uh, THD starting still kind of makes things ugly, but you saw him getting to the basket and you saw that dunk in the third quarter or fourth quarter or whatever. Where I think he dunked on like Trey Mann or something like that. And I uh, just walked away just again, all business. It just looked good. I think LeBron being LeBron is LeBron being LeBron and AD being himself is the biggest key to this season. Everything else doesn't really matter after that. Like uh, obviously the team building and the team chemistry and lineups and stuff, but LeBron being LeBron is is at the top of that and he looked like one of the best players in the world the last few games. It looks like he's getting rested. He looks healthier. He looks healthier, right? Because last year we saw him mm-hmm. he we saw him play in the playoffs, but that wasn't LeBron, right? That's like even though A D got hurt and the Lakers probably still could have won that series. LeBron wasn't LeBron. I saw him going, you know, we saw him. Aiden, we, Aiden would switch on him, and he would not attack him. Like LeBron, looks like he's getting his body right. Are you seeing that as well? Because I feel like he has a different level of bounce and juice to him that I, I just didn't see last year uh, when he came back from that ankle sprain.
1: Yeah, you know, it, even aside from the ankle sprain, like uh, having a core injury or just like the the groin injury, like it does sap like some of your strength uh, to some degree, just because of the way that your sure. body relies on uh, that part of you know, like the, the overall body relies on explosion from that area. So it's, like, you know, I, I even thought last year, um, it, it's a little bit of his his physical health, and it's a little bit of just the way that the league is calling some of these plays. Like, Bron is not getting calls at the rim. Like, there's some, like, obvious ones. He's just not getting called now because, you know, whatever the new rule changes are. So, like, it's been good to see a little bit more spring in his step. Like, teams are still doing this thing where they're, like, they choose. They're either going to put, like, a big body on him, and then, you know, they'll just hip check him and, and hope that the refs don't make, you know – refs don't call anything or they'll put a really small shifty fast guy on him uh and try to cut off like all of his driving angles and stuff like that and so he's done a lot of good stuff you know like to to counter stuff he he's um you know he's he's gone to the post up um uh vogel and or the lakers have started using him in cuts a little bit more to get him good quality looks some set action and stuff like that but like his athleticism at least kind of I, I don't know if we'll see the same super explosive athlete in one-on-one in one-on-one action that we um you know, we saw maybe two years ago or three years ago. Um, and that that's normal. But it's nice to see that, like, like the brain is still working, right? Like, he could tell, like, oh, yeah. oh, all right, all right, this guy's, this guy's back foot is, you know, like, his hips are open in a certain way where I know that if I attack him at this angle, he's not going to be able to stop me. You know what I mean? Like, that's that elite, super generational, top of the top stuff that, that he's really good at. And so it's been nice to see him kind of take use of that. And, like, he's slowed down, you know, like, He's not trying to beat guys to the rim the way that he used to. He's really methodical. Like a couple of plays that he had earlier, I think in the first half when he was deciding to attack the rim, like he'd wait for like the young guy to like overplay his drive and try to go for like a block or a steal. Mm -hmm. And then he just like stops on a dime and he finishes with an easy layup. And like that kind of stuff is going to be needed because it helps us keep pace and it helps us keep going. So it's been good to see him. Like I'm I'm glad that he's, he's getting back to a point. I hope he can get even better. Um, but, mm-hmm. but he does look much better than he did last
0: season. Yeah, he, he just, he's just moving better to me. And, and on the defensive end, a lot of the talk has been, you know, does LeBron load managing games. And for sure, you're not going to have LeBron be super engaged every single night defensively. But I feel like he does have to kind of be the vocal leader, especially where we're getting a lot of LeBron at center lineups too, right? Like, And I think that's also helping him on the other end as well where he doesn't have to play next to deandre jordan and dwight howard for so many minutes right and he's not playing in such a phone booth with phone booth basketball but i thought defensively again tonight like i thought he, he was really good on the back line and i think that's what they need for him he was he had some pretty disrespectful like where lou Dort would be like yeah i'm gonna shoot he's like i don't care like you know like <laughs> get a bunch get a, <laughs> a bunch of those tonight and okay she's a team you can do that with because there's a lot of guys that you really don't mind them shooting like josh giddy and 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 Lou Dort as well. But, you know, I thought he was good on defense as well. And that, I think that's a point of contention that's been been uh, for – I see a lot of timeline talking about as well. But in my opinion, like, LeBron has to have a baseline level of engagement defensively just on this team, at least until we get healthy, right? Like, uh, until mm-hmm. at least at least Ruiz gets back or something. Because some of these lineups, when you have – and we're, we're, we've both been promote, uh, promoting the spacing lineups with Malik Monk, Wayne Ellington, even Carmel Anthony – but when you have that, you have to have at least one guy that can defend the rim at a serviceable way. And if it's LeBron at the five, he's going to have to be the one that uh, is engaged on there because he's the backline help. And I think he's been doing that better, right? I mean, there are places mm-hmm. where, where he takes off and that's always going to happen. But I feel like I do see an engagement level for him. And sometimes it's annoying where LeBron's the most energy, the guy who looks like he's mo- the most energized player out there. Uh, but I thought he's he's building that up. I think his defense also has been has been fine these last few games.
1: Yeah, so I I would say uh, I think everything you said is really on point. It's uh, wonderful observation. I, so you know, I'm I'm probably um, I've I've actively kind of vocalized that I don't like the idea of LeBron at center. Uh, yeah. Only because it, I think it's taxing on his body, and, mm-hmm. and it's it's not something that I like to see in the regular season. It's something I would rather see. Like, you know, like if if the opposing team is like trying to throw the kitchen sink at the Lakers that Vogel goes to that um mm-hmm. I, you know I think I think this game he Vogel went to it as a counter strategy he didn't go to it as part of the set rotation so I, I, when I rewatch the game I'll probably be able to tell what it is um mm-hmm. and, you know obviously AD's out and we don't we already don't have to have a reason so there's no there's no opportunity for us to like we're, we're really short-handed in the front court so it, it, Braun was bound to play this like Mello got a ton of minutes and he was not, you know, he was filet mignon like, defensively <laughs> on a lot of these plays, so um again, like, Melo is not somebody that we would want to expect to rely on for point-of-attack defense, you know, like, he's supposed to be playing this role where he's spacing the floor for everybody else and just grabbing rebounds, not not the primary guy on, on a premier wing or something like that, so I, I'm, I'm against it, but I'm glad that it, it worked out well because that first half, when they went to it, I was like, holy shit, like, we're going to be in trouble, like, if this, if, if OGC goes on a run, with this lineup, like, things are going to get bad. But, you know, like, they, they did go on a run, but the Lakers held it together. And, and you know, that's that's the part, Um, even to, to the very first, first part of this conversation, it, that, that's impor- important. Like, Braun was all business. I would say that Avery Bradley probably was all business too as well. Like, there was yeah. almost no wasted effort from Avery Bradley. He almost took that matchup with uh, SGA. Like, personally. Like, he had disrespected his family or something yeah. like that.
0: Because, he was great, you know, like, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: and, and he was attacking him. He was doing that stuff that, you know, like he was doing two years ago, stuff that we see out of Alex Caruso, and, you know, it did visibly frustrate uh, Shea Gilgis, um, Alexander, for a little mm-hmm. bit. And it, and it, you know, it affects the team's rhythm, because other OKC players may look at SJ and say, well, if he's not, you know, I'm used to seeing him get his shots off and get into a rhythm, yeah. then I can work off of that. So, like, that was something that was clearly missing from the Memphis game. Like, we were just letting Desmond Bain uh, just, just just run down the floor, pick whatever matchup you wanted, and attack the rim. Nobody picked him up. And feel like a guy like Bradley, obviously we want other guys to do it, and I know we're going to talk about Reeves. Reeves is another guy. Mm-hmm. Like, pick up your guy at half court. Like, if your team isn't getting back in transition, stop the ball. Like, put pressure on the ball as soon as they get the rebound so that they can't just force it up the floor. Without passing the ball or something like that, and um, I thought Braun's kind of all around um, Braun's all around effort, plus like yeah. Avery Bradley's like defensive acumen, like like his defensive intensity—that thing that Vogel keeps talking about—that was huge. And and dude, there was—I don't know if you saw this, but in the first quarter, um, there was two specific possessions in a row where I think Avery Bradley had Josh Giddey out of. And uh, mm-hmm. Russell Westbrook was staying on the wing. Braun was on the top of the three and uh, Avery Bradley was in the corner. Braun didn't even swing the ball to Russ. He passed it directly <laughs> to Avery Bradley twice in a row. As if, and when I saw him, was like, why is he doing that? Like, give it to Russ. And then I realized that, oh, he's probably looking at, he's probably looking at Bradley saying, dude, you're faster than this guy. Like you can get to the rim before this guy can get to you, uh, can do anything to you. Like, get your shit together like they're leaving you open for a reason and like I think that like something something clicked with Avery and he just looked like super focused so I mean that stuff matters man that's energy that that gets transferred to the team so it's good to see Braun just kind of be in that mode
0: yeah and you know Avery gets a lot of crap from all of us and it's not his fault that to me I think like Bogle and Avery is like a match made in heaven, right? Like, Vogel just loves these tough, smaller, little undersized guards that really get into you. He's a guy that really fits what Vogel wants in a scheme, right, when he fights over. And OKC is just a really tough matchup for that with Avery Bradley because they have guards like Shea, and that's it. That just plays right into what Avery wants to do, right? He loves to get into guys. OKC doesn't have the big man or the screen uh, the guys that can screen for Shea in a way that can free him up and if it's just Shea in isolation, Avery Bradley's still an incredible point of attack defender. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's why like to me when we play Avery Bradley with AD at the five lineup, that's where it's like there's just a a stark difference there because I think AD at the five, and we've talked about this a lot, a lot mm-hmm. it just it lends to more switching, right? And I think that's against what goes into Avery Bradley. Avery Bradley's a fight over the top kind of yeah. drop coverage guard that you know attaches to people but when he's able to just be in isolation against a guard he's great you're right he stripped Shea a bunch of times and he definitely took the Josh Giddy matchup personal like there was a play where there was another play where he caught in the corner and he drove by Josh Giddy and he just got yeah. a reverse layup and uh <laughs> and he looked at Giddy like how dare you you know like it was just <laughs> it was just like it was cool to see him open up and you could see why Vogel starts him right Avery Bradley's a professional he's never you know he's not always going to be the best player but you know he plays hard and I think and just to tra- uh, transition this a little bit, I don't think it's a coincidence that Reeves was the first sub tonight, right? I think that's no coincidence yeah. from the Memphis game. All, those guards, they weren't playing hard. Like, there was an effort. Yep. There was an effort missing there. And, and Reeves, man, they, they pay players like $15 million a year to do what Reeves did tonight. You know, like they pay very yep. high money for two way type of wing type of players. And I tweeted tonight, Reeves is a vet in a rookie's body. Like, he just doesn't play like a rookie at all he has just a rookie body right and that's his limitation is his body and that's yeah. a, that's the uh, that's the case for a lot of players if Malik Monk was like six seven he's not on the minimum deal to me right like it's just uh there's limitations with everyone's body but Reeves is just a physical limitation what do you see from him though because I feel like he I don't know why he was collecting DMPs maybe he just wasn't healthy yet he did he is moving better he looks like he's moving mm-hmm. better but uh yeah what do you think of Reeves because I think he's a big part of this rotation and He's definitely a glue, a glue guy for this team. You could tell how lineups just fit together when he goes in, right? He's like a, like he plugs things together. Uh was your on Reeves?
1: Yeah, no, he, I, I think you hit it on the head. Like he plays, he understands pace, he understands spacing, he understands making the right play. Like, mm-hmm. um, I never see him catch a ball on a catch and th- uh, like if he knows that uh, somebody's closing out on him, and he did this a couple times this game. Like one of my favorite things, favorite things. To, to see, like, young players do um, uh, when they receive a ball and somebody's trying to close out on them is to, like, attack that closeout, right? So, like, players who understand that th- that if that if you get, not like a triple threat, but if you attack a closeout um, correctly mm-hmm. and you play the angles, whether you go left, whether you go right, whether you use it like a very subtle pump fake, shooting fake, to get the guy just, like, for a, he- a half second to hesitate, like, those kind of things give you enough avenue to be successful with whatever your next decision is whether you actually shoot it whether you you know attack the rim and they want to make a pass like it causes this chain reaction and Reeves is so good at that like there were so many plays today I, I think there was a corner three that he hit where he just does like a subtle pumping and the OKC guy just mm-hmm. goes flying by him like it's not as if like he had been lighting it up from three like at that point it was like maybe a second three of the game or something like that And he just does a subtle pump it, gets the guy up in the air. Because good players, vets, whatever, experienced players, understand that the threat of giving up an open three is like panic to a guy who's closing out on defense. Like if I'm already late to rotate on you and I got to close out on you and you look like you're about to shoot this ball, I'm going to jump. Like I'm going to jump full speed and it's going to end up being a flyby. And the fact that he can make those reads quickly and, and, you know, take advantage of them. Like, he had another play, I think, like, in the second half or at the end of the second quarter where, like, he faked like he was going to go out, but then he went baseline and he hit, like, a soft floater off a pass from Braun. Like, these are small things that happen in the course of the game that, like, keeps the flow of the offense going. And it's crazy, you know, again, like, Lakers draft, uh, you know, Jesse Bus, Joey Bus, uh, the guys that are scouting these guys out, this is an undrafted kid making this like veteran decisions on this team. And as, as crazy, you know, like the other side of the equation, people may be like, oh, my God, the Lakers are relying on this undrafted kid to, like, be good to win a championship. We're not relying on him, but this kid's fucking great. Like, he's doing such a good job just making the right play, knowing playing within himself, being unselfish, dropping dimes to his teammates and stuff like that, creating advantages, that it's hard not to play him and uh, i think the reason why he play is probably because just to to protect um he's a young guy they, they don't want to you know they don't want a bad situation for him so it's just he's he's good man he's a good connective tissue player you know like th- that's the only way i can describe what he is and we've got guys that can do that on this team and that's what we need we need effort we need connectors that, that that's what that's what's gonna kind of give us some continuity on the offense and defensive end
0: yeah, you talked about how, like, you know, we're playing or you know, relying on an undrafted kid. He's earned every minute that he's got, right? Like, and when you're on a team full of, you know, minimum contract type of players, you can earn those type of minutes. And he's earned every minute that he's got. And he's beat out players. He's beat out vets uh, that have been in the league for a while. It's no coincidence to me that he connects with LeBron James, right? And the, and the Caruso comps are, are canny, right? Like, they're... They appear uh, very often. Uh, I don't think that's a fair, like, defensive, you know, ceiling. Caruso's one of the best, you know, defensive guards in the league to me. But uh, mm-hmm. he's definitely ahead of him offensively. And we've talked about that before. Like, he's definitely ahead of him offensively just from, like, a already skill level. He's The the way he's able to attack closeouts is just advanced for a person in, in year one of year, year one of his career. It just, it's just super advanced. The ball never sticks with him, right? It's like they always talk about you – you make a three-second decision, right? It's shoot, mm-hmm. pass, or dribble. He always really makes the right play on that decision, and you see that he, when an advantage is created, he keeps that advantage, right? Like when, when Russ blows by, his, when Russ blows by his guy, and someone comes and helps on Russ, they kick out to the Reeves. Even if Reeves doesn't have the shot, he'll kick it out to where the defense is still in rotation, and mm-hmm. LeBron connects with super high IQ players. And not saying other players aren't high IQ, but there was no coincidence why he connected with caruso it's no con- coincidence why he connected with reeves um reeves is playing too well again i i don't think tonight is an aberration like he's been playing well before he in- i forgot what his injury was um uh, but he got hurt and was that, out for i think it's a is
1: it a hamstring injury is, what, huh. is why
0: why he knocked him out oh okay hamstring yeah those are those can be tricky so i think he was out a cute, uh a few weeks but yeah man he just connects and his ability you talked about it, the pump fake sidestep three like his shot looks clean too i think he's a legit shooter I don't know. He's shooting uh, for three this year. I think it's at around forty percent or something. But yeah, just a legit player that we have, uh, and hopefully can add to this rotation with a bunch of guys. If they're not on tonight, I think he'll play, and I think he can even start on this team. I don't. I think he just connects, <laughs> uh, which uh, I know we've discussed as well. Just like... Yeah, 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 for sure. And look. It's clear he has skills that fit around our stars, right? Like, that's very easy to see. Like, and again, it, it doesn't, I'm not saying like these, this, these decisions are easy, but you can tell the skill sets that fit around three guys who need to attack the rim, who aren't jump shooters. Like, you need jump shooting around them, and it prefer, preferably two way guys who are jump shooters around them. And if they can attack closeouts, if they can pump fake, get to the line, if they can get offensive rebounds, you know, he seems to have a knack for offensive rebounding at the free throw line which is a really strange skill to to have. Like, that's not just – that's just a strange skill, right? That's not something mm-hmm. you bring up in person's list of skills. That's something he does. He loves to – he gets tap outs a lot. It's just little stuff that he does. And, again, the Caruso comps are unfair, but it's tough not to go to that, right? It's tough not to compare because that's the last player we've had kind of who did those little things that stand out. It jumps out on a team with a bunch of players who don't do those little things, right? And as much as I, you know, pain for Wayne Ellington, he's not a guy that does the little things. He's just not. Mm-hmm. He's a shooter. That's why he's been paid to do his whole career. That's why I hope he keeps shooting, keeps shooting, Wayne. Please fire those up. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, that's that's my point on Reeves. But go ahead. I I kind of know the question you're gonna ask. But, but, <laughs> but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So so the question. So th- this was that
1: was, a, that was a, uh, a very nice announcement. You know, you mentioned Caruso. Obviously, the reason why we're making. The, The irony of the situation is they're both white guys. Uh, They both look like they they, – in appearance look like they shouldn't belong in the league. Um, You know, that was the usual joke uh, that Mm -hmm. just some random ball white guy that was on this Lakers team that the Lakers fans are gassing up. Um, And, you know, but now everybody's talking about him being an all-defensive player. Anyways, um, so you said something interesting. And one of the things you said – of the many things you said uh, about Reeves is that Braun connects with high-IQ guys. And mm-hmm. that is a oh, very faci- very <laughs> fascinating observation because um, that is something that I've at least seen, like, when I play in high school, like, even when I play in, like, rec- league, even if you play pickup basketball, when you play sure. with, like, smart guys, guys who know how to space the floor, guys who kind of recognize what's happening on offensive defense, they know who's who's on a roll and stuff like that, and you play with them, even if it's just pickup at your local gym or something like that, It it changes the enjoyment that you have with the game, right? Oh, yeah. And and when you're playing with people like that, um, you just have fun, even if you're not doing anything, you know, like even if you're just making outlet passes or playing some defense and, and getting a couple of shots up. Um and that's the part that's so fascinating uh with with this dynamic that Austin Reeves has with I mean it's not only Braun, he has the same dynamic with, with Russ, he has the same dynamic with, with um Anthony Davis to some degree too as well, that he just fits, right? And, and it's very clear he has a high IQ, he has a mature understanding. But right now, Raj, we've been watching uh, another young Laker player um, be asked <laughs> to play that role um, in, mm-hmm. in the starting, in the starting, uh, well, you know, with the starters and, and next to our big three. And it has been very painful to watch. And so I'm going to say my part because I don't want to put words in your mouth. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I'm a little more opinionated about this. I think THC absolutely does not fit with our big three. At least not right. Mm -hmm. And it has been really, really difficult uh, to watch him play next to him. Even at the start of this game. I know he hit a three. uh, You know, I think Bradley hit two threes. He hit one three. It it is really difficult to watch him um, fit with those guys. Because uh, I always make the joke. Certain players, young players, you can see when they have the ball in their hands. You can see, like, when you're watching them, you can tell, like, their brain is trying to process what's happening around them. And when I watch THC play next to the big three, I feel like that happens too much. Like he doesn't know, like his his if he had to do it on instinct, he's attacking the rim immediately. But the fact that he's playing next to Braun, A D, and Russ, it I, it almost feels like it puts pressure on him as a player that oh shit, if I don't make this, if I don't make the right decision, like we could waste this possession. Or if I don't sure. make the right decision like and it's not a set action, maybe I should have given it to Russ. Maybe I should have given it to Braun. Maybe I should have given it to AD. Did I make the right play? And a perfect example of this is um, THT comes down the floor in the first quarter. He tried to throw two entry passes, I think, to Braun. One may have been Braun. One may have been somebody else. I don't remember. Both of them got picked off. And he's the one making the entry pass. So, like, I was like, I could fire off a tweet right now. I'm not going to do it. But I'm just watching it. You know, obviously, we won the game. He, He played better. That was fine. But my thing is, like, if a guy struggles to make reads like that, right? Like, to make an entry pass after Braun has sealed the smaller guy behind him, like, maybe it's just not for him yet. He's not ready to be in that position yet. And I know a lot of people are saying, you know, well, we're paying him $10 million. He's been with, with the Lakers for two years now. Um, we have to develop him. But when you have – if you don't look at them in terms of, like, Austin Reeds requires development, and you just look at it based on mm-hmm. what it fits, what fits with this team, like, it almost – if somebody came to me and said, "Hey, you know what? Maybe we should try Austin Reeves instead of Tht and play him next to Avery Bradley," like I would be mm-hmm. like, "You know what? Why not? You know, we're we're still shorthanded. Why not see sure. see what that looks like? What What do you think about that idea? That like maybe it, it's not it's not development. It's not money. Let's just take the development part out of it. Let's take the money part out of it. How much they make? If you just had to take sure. those two guys, um, what do you think about the idea of Reeves getting more minutes over Tht or maybe even being in the starting spot next to?
0: So I'm just gonna say, like, just to give THG a little credit here, I think he has gone better defensively, right? And I mm-hmm. think that's why he starts, even though it's a little confusing because sometimes he'll start and it'll be Russ still taking the main defensive assignment, or mm-hmm. you know, like that doesn't really make sense to me. Like again, Russ did a great job on Jason Tatum, uh, the the last time they played, but I think the point of THG starting is his defense because it's very clear the offense isn't there. I thought you made it this is why I wanted to have you on cuz it's tougher to have these conversations you know over just uh, <laughs> uh messages but I thought you made a great point on your space uh that you did in the afternoon I don't remember what day it was um uh, but uh you said that Caruso knew who he was right like Caruso had no qualms of who he was going to be in the league right Caruso came in and knew exactly the player he is Austin Reeves knows exactly who he is right Austin Reeves has no like, not to put a ceiling on Austin Reeves, you know, Austin, you know, shoot for the stars kid. But, like, I'm saying, like, Austin knows exactly, like, he, his role on this team. Th, you talked about THT missed the uh post-up to LeBron, right? Like, mm-hmm. he, he couldn't find – THT wants to be LeBron in that situation, right? right? Like, THT still sees himself as a player who wants to be Russ, who wants to be LeBron. So his mindset is still in there. So that's, like, to me, his decisions all still go back to that, which is – why the fit looks so ugly because he's not, his mindset isn't of a three and D player, which is what that starting lineup is begging for. His mindset mm-hmm. is of a, I'm a star too. Right. And I, he just got paid as one, like the, the Lakers obviously supported, supported that mindset, I guess, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like they paid him $10 million a year with very little, I mean, he's shown flashes obviously of super of star potential, but they've supported into that idea and starting him as another, Hey kid, like, this is going to be yours one day, you know, like kind of yeah. in that in that kind of manner here. And I think that's why it looks so stark. And this team definitely has goals that don't match THC's development line. You know, it's kind of like yeah. we're doing two things at once. And I do think there is like I think there's an argument for it where like the ceiling of this team is higher probably with if Tht hits his ceiling at 21 years old. But he's a 21 year old guard who still believes that he can be in the LeBron or Russ role which is makes it so stark and i would love to start austin like i think you know that might be the right move here i think thc needs possessions where he needs better spacing around him i think it's it's such a disgrace that he plays with the worst spacing lineup like just yeah just you know what i mean like just in a in terms of of how like think about it for him where he starts the game where he's the guy that needs to hit outside shots and that's just not his skill level so like I think that's where it is. THT still has belief that he's gonna be LeBron or Russ or whatever and you know, that's fine. You don't he should have, you know, aspirations as high as he wants to. But when you play a kid like Reeves, it just fits. It's why it jumps off the page, right? Reeves does all the small things that things players like him need to do to stay in this league, right? Like players like THT have the ball in their hands. They're the shock yep. they're the shock traders. And you see that when he gets the ball, right? So he'll like get the ball and he'll like stare and he'll stop as if he's the main guy like you'll just be like okay it's my turn now like, yeah let me let,
1: let me he, he does too much, sometimes he does too much of the let me set up my isolate let me read oh yeah part, set up my isolation because i you know i'm about to take this guy to the rim or whatever it is and um no no i i agree with you 100 like I, I think that no this is that that human element the human nature exactly part that, that i think is a huge thing that like I think it's a blind spot in, in Vogel. And I'm, I'm not going to get into Vogel bashing. I do that enough myself <laughs> on, on on the timeline. But it is I, I genuinely think it's a gap. And, you know, mm-hmm. it, it may not have it. Maybe Vogel does want to play Reeves. Maybe there's some um, clutch-related politics on the back end. Maybe there's some financial politics on the back end. Whatever it may be. You know, maybe he got promised a starting spot with this team um, if he agreed, you know, like – and, and they, want, they expect him to get better, whatever it is. But mm-hmm. I agree with you. Like, the development – we don't have time to develop THT, not in the, yeah. in, in, not with the starters. Um, and even aside, if we take the development part out, like you're putting him in a position where the the very thing he needs the most, the ball in his hands and to dribble it around a little bit, you're asking him to try and figure that out between three other ball dominant guys, um, regardless of how elite passers, you know, like Russ, Russ and Bron uh, may be. And I, I think it jacks up his rhythm. I think it jacks up everybody else's rhythm and that's, you know, just something that's been going on um, for a while now. And hopefully the, it kind of figures itself out, but you know, like um, I think it was a P. He, he's the one who posted that, that tweet saying that like he's shooting like 18% or so, some extraordinarily bad number, like uh, outside of the restricted area. Mm-hmm. I just tweeted, I said, look, I can't even be mad at Taylor. Yeah. These numbers are readily available to our coaching staff. Like, what is your coaching staff doing? Like, why would you put him in a position to be a 3 and D guy when he's not hitting any shots outside of the restricted area? Like, you're, you're literally asking him to fail. And then, you know, you'll get people on the timeline and say, oh, this guy sucks. You know, like, why do we give this guy $10 million? And why don't we give it to Alex Caruso? We might as well, you know, who is competing for the market for a THC. We should have just given it to Alex Caruso. Like, it's unfair to Taylor. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because he's being put in a position – that's not successful for him. So, I, you know, I, I hope that the situation resolves itself, but it feels like it's going in that direction. Especially with like, if they, if Frank continues to play Anthony Davis at the five, um, and not mix up his minutes at the four and the five and not play Dwight, that sort of thing. Like, they're going to have to figure that part out because no matter what he's doing on the defense, it's mm-hmm. too much too much. It's really a whole all the easy layups because Memphis doesn't get back on defense uh, and we build a lead. And Braun is brilliant yet again, just like the Boston game, to start that game. But then everything kind of falls apart after that. Uh, but in the third quarter, he puts Dwight in and now things kind of... Now the guy who's cutting is Braun. The guy who's taking the jumpers is Braun. Mm-hmm. Braun off of Russ's moves and stuff like that. Uh, or it's AD. Or it's Dwight for the dump-off. So, like, that's the part that, you know, I hope the Lakers figure out. Yeah. But, you know, that's really what I, my my thoughts in regards to. Him. I'm hoping that he – I want him to be successful because I think that's important for him important for the Lakers. Um, but it's, I don't think it's going to happen the way that they're currently trying to do it.
0: Yeah, it's the idea of fitting, like, a square peg into a round hole, right? Like, they're trying to force Tht into they a 3-and-D role, but also – No, no, you're good. I I hear you. Um, But yeah, they're trying to fit THT into like, they're trying to do a square peg into a round hole, right? With THT, trying to force him into this uh, three and D role. And that's just not what he wants to be as well. And you can just tell as a player, he's a guy that wants the ball in his hands. And we're trying to develop him into that while also playing him next to LeBron and Russ, which is just a really frustrating thing to watch. And like you said, it's not something that, you know, you can blame Talon on, like it's not his fault. Uh, that's just kind of uh where we at with the situation right now and I think he's going to continue to start until Ariza's back like he's our he's our wing defender I guess for right now and they're just going to keep going with that uh, until until Ariza or maybe Kendrick Nunn gets back but he's the guy that they're going to throw on wing defenders they don't want Russ they don't want LeBron uh, to be the guy as the main guy on defense against the other big time perimeter players so yeah, I think it's a it's a tough conversation. I think Reeves has a case, though, to be made. If he continues to play like this, he continues to shoot like this. On a championship team, to me, you have to earn every minute you get. And I feel like there shouldn't be any given minutes, other than the big three, other than the stars. Mm-hmm. Every other minute should be earned. And we saw that. It's kind of funny because we saw that with Taylor last year. If you remember, uh, he beat out Wes Matthews. Wes Matthews, you know, a veteran player, a good player, signed probably for less money than he could have gotten other places and THC beat him out on the rotation because he was playing that three and D role his jumper mm-hmm. was going during that time right and and we you know we had fascinations about oh man if Taylor has his jumper you know like uh, we have a crazy we have a crazy player here and the jumper just has not entered this season and that's you know that's something that just happens uh but yeah like if Reeves is the better player then the better player should play on a team that's trying to win that's just how uh how it should be but you know it's a it's a thin line to walk here i guess is it when you play pay a guy 10 million dollars a year you talked about the politics of it like that's definitely involved like that's it's tough to bench a guy making that much money you know so it, it's a tough conversation
1: yeah and, and um you know th- th- that's one of the things that like um i've been trying to kind of wrap my head around you know yeah. vogel vogel is a very diplomatic guy um, Sure. he and and i was listening to uh the Laker Film Room podcast earlier today. And um, I thought Pete uh, on LFR pod, uh, he made a really nice point. Like outside of like the top four guys, Mm -hmm. nobody is making so much money. Nobody is making so much money that like they can't be benched. You know what I mean? Like uh, like Kent Baysmore got benched at some point and he's been sitting on the bench the entire time. I don't think I agree with him being benched for the way that he has, like he does boneheaded Mm -hmm. stuff, uh, Mm -hmm. but not like, not to deliberately shorthand ourselves, like, DeAndre was objectively bad. And so he got benched. You know what I mean?
0: And it he's back in years. the rotation. He's back yeah. in the rotation. <laughs> Man.
1: <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't look bad. As soon as I saw AD is out, I was like, oh, my God, we're going to play DeAndre. Yeah. So I was hoping we play Bays a little bit more, you know. But Me he, too. He, he didn't get minutes. Whatever. That's fine. Rondo being out the rotation, objectively bad. So he's been out the rotation. Whatever. That's mm-hmm. fine. But mm-hmm. my thing is, like, we have a very diplomatic coach who is trying to, you know, manage all of the, not the egos, but just manage everybody's expectations. Um, and, you know, whether he's being empowered by our front office to do so, like it is very clear that there are certain moves that he has to make uh, or just cer- certain adjustments he has to make that can allow this team to be, su- to be successful. And uh, I don't know if he's not being allowed to do it or if he's just apprehensive because he's a very diplomatic guy um, that, that, you know, we, we have to see what happens, but look, man, like, I want Talon to be successful. Like, at some point, Frank has got to go to Talon or or has to go. Like, can you imagine what the film sessions are like? Like, I made this joke. I when I sat there with Jason, like, what? you? when there's bad games, like bad, bad games, like the Memphis game. And you see, like, like Talon's had some plays. He's had some possessions where, like, he just does something. I'll be like, oh. Like, I I have, like, this look on my face. And I'm like, (laughs) just like I, I had, like, some bad milk or something like that. I'd be like, Oh God, like I wish you hadn't driven because you just got stripped or you took a, you know, like you're not going to take it with your left hand. So the team knew you were going to take it with your right and they stripped it or, or, or they challenged a shot. You fell down. Now they got a five on four going the other way. Like Mm -hmm. there are just some plays that stuff like that, that happens. And I think to myself, it's like, what, what are they saying to each other in the film room? Like when this happens, are they asking Taylor what he thought was going to happen? Or is somebody looking at Frank and saying, dude, this guy is being put in a really tough position to have to score between like three non-shooters. Like, what are we doing here? That we got to stop doing that. And, you know, I don't know. Is it politics? Is it that? Who knows? Whatever it is. But like these lineup combinations have to eventually get figured out. We can't be like in like this weird data collection mode uh, of just seeing which lineups are ass and which ones are good <laughs> uh, to try and figure out what's going on. Cause it's affecting the guy that did not play today. Anthony Davis. Um, He has been up and down all season. I know you wanted to talk about him. Like, he has struggled, like, with this playing the four sometimes, playing the – starting the game at five, what the rotation is going to end up being, and it's junking up a lot of stuff. Um, And he didn't play today. So, I'm sure we're going to see a lot of – you know, obviously I'm sure some folks are joking. Some people are not joking. Um, You know, he's going to be in the trade machine uh, with with the – December 15 coming around.
0: Yeah, you know, I don't even get into those. Like, I I even hate when I hate when people come at me and ask, you know, Russ trades. Like, that's not happening. Like, just you know, yeah. throw that throw that away. Russ is on this team, and and Russ is gonna be on this team when the playoffs start. You know, next year, who who knows? The NBA is a weird league. Things change very rapidly. But Russ is on this team uh, for good. Before we get into AD, because I think that's the that's the last thing I really want to discuss with you, because you know you have mm-hmm. some strong opinions on that. To me, like, I think I've been advocating for Wayne to start. And, and I sent you that, you know, in uh, privately like, I've sent you that athletic kind of post before the season started, right? We got this. Uh, mm-hmm. We were sold these bag of, you know, this bag of dreams of like, this was this is the starting lineup. And I don't think, you know, people joke about Shams and he does some weird stuff for sure to be first. Uh, I think it's a weird – some of the weird stuff that he does is weird. But he, you know, he reported that the Lakers were going to start. Russ, Wayne, uh, Trevor, Ariza, LeBron, and AD. That was the five we were going to start, right? And that was the identity of this team. And to me, like, Ariza's injury, I get it. Like, he's been out. But I feel like that shouldn't change your whole team's identity. I think that's what we've done. I think that DeAndre Jordan, you know, him starting as many games as did. You talked about the film room with THT. I can't imagine the film room with DeAndre Jordan – like what do you like? What do you say? Like, <laughs> like, that's like, no, to I'm be d- the
1: worst. They hit I'm it dead for serious. Games. That's so crazy.
0: No, because we both rewatch these games, right? Like we watch a lot of these games. Like, like you see that, and there's just what do you do? They just move the clip forward, you know, fast forward fifteen <laughs> seconds. Like, I'm no, I'm serious. Here. Like, what? You, there's nothing you can even. No, say. No, 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 yeah. I, okay. This
1: is this is me being serious. Like, I, I, uh, I would love. I would love. To be voyeur or be a fly on the wall, just yeah. to see. And I, I don't even need to hear the conversation. <laughs> Let me just look at the fate. Like I've been to the Lakers practice facility before, and so I've seen like that little theater room where they sit down mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I want to be with the screen behind me, and I <laughs> want them to run the film, and I want to look at the players' faces, Did and I want to look right, at, right into DeAndre Jordan's eyes when he when we see those plays where he's like guarding nobody, like the guy comes off the screen. He doesn't go to contest it, but then he doesn't recover back. So then the guy who's, you know, like Avery Bradley, he's like, holy shit, dude, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to get the role man or am I supposed to – I just want to see what his face looks like because yeah. he has got to be smiling for all the ca- all the-, the checks that he must be cashing, just floating around. It's – oh, my God. It's got to be insane. But we did it for 20 games. Isn't that yeah. crazy?
0: Man, it, like I was, I was wrong about DeAndre Jordan. Like I wasn't, I guess, watching enough Nets games. Like I thought he could have been. Uh, and me and Jason have talked about this. A facsimile of JaVale McGee, right? And to me, like the drop, the gap between JaVale McGee and DeAndre Jordan shouldn't be this big. But it's this big because the motor gap is this big now, right? Like the gap between motor, DeAndre Jordan does the path of least resistance every single time. Like that's just what he does. I don't even know if it's conscious. I don't want to get into DeAndre Jordan more. But this isn't even about DeAndre Jordan. I guess this is just. About how long I guess we're talking about adjustments take to get yeah. made, right? And to me, like that's why I'm I'm so in for starting Wayne. And I, I said this with Jason yesterday, like shooters are so expensive in this league. Like it's expensive mm-hmm. to get shooting, and I feel like we have one in Wayne. We have one in Monk as well. But I just I told you yesterday, like I don't think Monk has any chance of starting. Like a six one guard that's not defensive, like defensive-minded, like, there's Mm -hmm. no chance in hell to me he starts. But Wayne, you know, Wayne's not a good defender. He's His motor defensively isn't good as well. I just think, like, this is the bag we were sold. We have four of those guys – well, we had four of those guys healthy. We'll see with AD. But that's who I'd like to start. What do you think about Wayne starting? Because I I wanted to ask you about that because I think that's the middle line we can kind of go with here because I think he's enough of a vet where, like, you can Mm -hmm. bench THT for Wayne Ellington, and no one bats an eye, right? That's just like, okay, that's something that happened. You start Austin Reeves over THT, and we can talk about how much we'd like this to be in a perfect vacuum, in a perfect world. Oh, oh that, that
1: text that text from Rich Paul and Rob Polica's phone <laughs> is coming. Like, the moment that gets announced, there's a text going right to Rob Polica's phone uh, as, as he, as he uh, sees that uh, hit the cry on. Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah, so, like, what do you think about uh, Wayne starting? Because I've been a proponent of that, and I just – I feel like that would be the perfect – Again, like I said, like if Reeves could start, it would be in a perfect world. Maybe Reeves starts, but we don't live in a perfect world. We live in a place where all these you talked about the human element. That's just part of it. It's not mm-hmm. bad that politics matter. Like politics matter in every situation. Sometimes they matter in a good way. You know, like sometimes mm-hmm. there are places where politics matter in a good way. But yeah, just I wanted to ask you about that before we get into uh, AD. What do you think about Wayne starting? Or, or my proponent of that? Yeah, yeah,
1: no, I I think that's a good idea. So like if you if you take um, like all the guards that we have and then mm-hmm. you just kind of cross, even in your mind, because you, you re-watch a lot of games, you watch a lot of games. Like, if you think about how teams try to attack the Lakers, like, we get spammed with pick and roll, like, a lot. Like, yeah. know, whether it's AD at the five or it's somebody else at the five, teams are trying to, you know, pick and roll us to death um, to start games. They're not trying to go to the interior. They're not trying to kill us in transition. Like, unless it's off of, like, a miss or something like that, um, mm-hmm. or a turnover, they're not trying to do it. So – Uh, why not play two guys who can, you know, somewhat navigate a a pick and roll? Like, Ellington isn't the best. Like, he's not Avery Bradley level um, as it relates Mm to, like, shedding screens technique. But um, what's it called? Ellington uses screens himself, so he understands how to navigate them because he knows how to use them. Um, Right. You know, like uh, like in football, like, uh, they always say, like, wide receivers turn into defensive backs or defensive backs can turn into wide receivers because it's the same core principles, same routes, mm-hmm. same same reads, the way that you read the QB and stuff like that. So why not do that? Like, I, I wouldn't be against the idea, even strictly from a data collection purpose, like, let, let Ellington play next to Bradley. See if it sucks. Like, he right. obviously provides the spacing that we need. And if it sucks, then all right, go back to what it is. Like, what do you have to lose in, in the regular season? We already have enough of a sample size to know that, THC has a lot of struggle uh, with the other guys when it comes to making his reads and just his shooting in general, which hasn't come around this season. So why not just play a guy who does really well shooting? The other part of THC that people aren't talking about or maybe haven't talked about enough, I know you guys talk about it, but he is getting hammered on screens and he is struggling to get around screens. He's almost like two, three steps behind um, Mm. the, the, the ball handler when the screen comes. And we're supposed to be thinking here like, okay, you know, he's got long wingspan, stuff like that. Um, you know, Dwight or, or AD is calling out the coverage or what he's supposed to do. But he, you know, and, and it's, again, I can't be mad at him because he's being put in that position, but he's having trouble getting around them. Like Desmond Bain, there was a three that he hit in the first quarter where there was nothing complex. Desmond Bain was just standing on the wing and he was waiting for the set to start. And as soon as the set starts, he goes and he takes, like, a dribble handoff into an open three. Um and Desmond Bain has, like, the arms of a T-Rex. Like, he's got super small arms. So, you would think that even if THT is coming late, he can get to that shot. THT, like, he can't get around that screen in time. Like, he can't shed the screen quickly enough. So, why mm-hmm. not just play a guy who's used to doing it uh, and and see what happens? And, and and that's my thing. Like, if you've seen people – if you've seen opposing teams use the same exact strategy over and over again, like, the first thing if, for me I would think if I was vocal is, like, all right, people are – pick and rolling us to death, let me just play my best two shooters that can defend a pick and roll. So, if, it's, if it has to be, if Bradley has to be one of those guys, who's the next guy? Is it Monk? Uh, Or is it Russ and, is it Russ and Bradley? Or is it uh, Russ and Monk? Or, you know, what what does it have to be? Um, and, and, you know, like, why not try it? Give it a chance and see what happens. So, um, I'm with you, man. Like, what do we have to lose? Like, do it in the regular season so that we can figure out exactly what's going on with this team as opposed to doing exactly the same thing over and over again and then being upset that we didn't get the result that we wanted.
0: Yeah. And just last thing on Ellington, because again, Ellington's not a championship, you know, changing player. I said that last mm-hmm. night. Like, it's not like I'm standing when, you know, people have stand pages. I'm not standing Wayne Ellington. Like, it's just, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like if he just fits in again, like doing these spaces after every game, you can Sometimes you can lose the bigger picture, right? Because, you know, you're so emotional after every game. So every game, just like, okay, what happened tonight? And then what happened tonight? And then what happened tonight? And then, like, five games go by. You're like, oh, shit, like, I missed, you know, the whole trend here. And I think it's just – it fits into a larger picture to me. So what's the main – the main thing about this team is their stars, right? It's LeBron, Russ, and AD and everything around Mm -hmm. that. Our stars together have a 1.3 net rating for the season, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. we're – plus, that means we're basically playing – neutral basketball which makes sense because we're 500 right but yep. we're 500 but you your stars should be like what usually what happened would be like the stars would have like a plus eight right and then the rest of the team's like a plus one and then you have like a good net rating but our stars are plus 1.3 like that's an issue that's a that's a process issue to me like if mm-hmm. Bradley hitting six threes is you know is nice it's just not something that's gonna happen nightly you're also not gonna play OKC nightly like that's where I'm thinking that's why I advocate for Wayne because he just To me, he's the face of an issue. He's not the – it's not Wayne Ellington being the fix of the issue. Or just like you said, Austin Reeves doesn't change you from a championship-level team. He just changes your identity, right? It's like a – it's a move to an identity. So that's all I guess I want to say with Wayne because that's my point. And I think you kind of agree with that as well, right? It's not you're saying like Austin Reeves isn't so much better than THT. Like it's not like – that. it's just like he fits the team. And it's like – and putting him in, it fits in ideology that this team needs to win. Like, it, it's not about who's better than the other player, right? And we both want THTA to succeed as well. So that's kind of my bigger picture here. Our, our stars are plus 1.3 net rating for the season. And that's awful for your superstars. Like, you should be winning those at a much better place, especially with the schedule that we played. And a lot of that's yeah. DeAndre Jordan too, but yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah no, no, I was, I was going to say, Um. actually before, because I knew that I was going to talk to you today, I actually looked up, so I looked at the four-man, just plus minuses, right, for four-man lineups. And I did it with excluding DeAndre Jordan, like so no no lineups. Uh, so I mean, he would have be in the format lineup anyways. But uh, I just wanted to see like which which fourth player looks really good uh, next to like our big three, right? Regardless of whoever that fifth person is, sure. uh, and obviously the fifth person makes a huge difference too. You know, it's not mm-hmm. fair to say that that fifth person can't junk up the entire lineup. Um, but it's like I was looking at it, and there's like the big three plus Kent Bazemore have played like 30 minutes together or something like that. And it's like a – it's zero. It's a neutral zero. And then it's like Avery Bradley's the other guy. It's a neutral zero. THC, it's like a plus three or it was like a – or it may have been minus. I can't remember exactly what it was. But it's just like all these different configurations, not including Wayne Ellington, not including like – they're all like just neutral. Nothing is happening. Like that's extraordinary with those lineups. So it's like if we're 26 games in, 30 games in at this point, why not try something different um, just to see what, ha- what, what happens? And, you know, maybe, maybe that is what's eventually coming, you know, um, in, in the next set of 10 games or something like that. Maybe maybe Vogel makes a lineup change um, and goes in that direction. But, you know, like th- that, that's been my thing too. I'm, I'm, I'm on board with you. Like there's – it seems like there's some opportunity there. Um, and there's just some small adjustments. Don't play mm-hmm. this guy, play this guy instead. Don't play these two guys at the start of the game. Play them a- as the first shift that comes in. And that, that can make all the difference um, with those lineups and those net ratings.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, like, uh, my final thing, like, I was wrong. I thought Wayne Ellington played zero minutes with the big three. He played nine total minutes, I guess, in five games, which you spread that out. It's like a minute and a half or something yeah. per game. 19, 19 possessions. With our big three, you know, and that's – where that's where the it's not matching to me you know like if if I was sold that this was our starting lineup in the beginning of the year and now that four of those guys are healthy and those four guys played nine minutes total through you know however many games it is it's not really matching to me like there's a disconnect there that I, I'm kind of struggling with but I think that's enough about them like uh, before we close this out here I wanted to ask you about AD because I think you know we were talking about this as well and I think it's fascinating because this numbers all match right like they're all mm-hmm. still superstar top whatever level player points of the paint he leads dunks it leads you know and all that stuff when i'm watching these games though he it does look like he's a little slower it does look like he picks and chooses when he wants to uh put an imprint on the game and i'm not saying he was always this aggressive scorer because he wasn't like there, AD's a guy that's not an aggressive scorer that's just not his mentality he's a guy that picks his spots even when we got dennis Schroeder, he had quotes like I'm trying to fit around Dennis Schroeder, and we're like, "You're Anthony freaking Davis." Everyone fits around, <laughs> yeah. and everyone fits around you. You know what I mean? But, uh, but I think defensively is where I see it. Um, I, I see a lack of like a motor drop that's that really shows in the film when you go from Anthony freaking Davis motor what it was to what I've seen this year and last year. I throw away because whatever last year was, but this year I've kind of seen that. So, what do you see from AD? I guess big picture, obviously didn't play tonight. The Memphis game to me stood out from him, but like I wanted you to kind of get into it because I know you've you've kind of got into this as well. But I think it's it's really key to talk about.
1: Yeah, the, you know, so the, the way that I kind of think of it is, um, you know, this season, and, and this is probably a, a good way to just kind of zoom out before we jump into more before I jump into more detail. Like sure. th- this Lakers team, regardless of how average it's been it's had so many random swings even within games itself like they'll go up 20 and then they'll all of a sudden the opposing team will go on 18 point red that yeah. the data behind everything that you're watching is almost completely unreliable like there's so much of the data that we that we have from mm-hmm. the 26 or 27 games that we've played this season is is unreliable because th- you know there'll be one specific lineup that only played in one specific game and never played in any other games so that looks extraordinarily <laughs> good but there's no yeah. sample size to the data so it looks crazy So, so my thing is this, like when the, my biggest gripe is that, no, the national media is, you know, it's, it's a lazy business, right? NBA national media is a very lazy business that one of the worst things that's happened and it's not because it's not the fault of the folks that are into analytics. One of the worst things that's happened is people are substituting at uh, analytics to, uh, as a substitute to actually like watching film and this is not this this is not the shit on that community so i don't want anybody to who's listening to think that's what i'm doing but because the data is so unreliable with what's going on with the lakers team this season um with with the swings and stuff like that, momentum swings game to game that if you don't actually watch what anthony davis is doing on the floor when he's at the five versus when he's at the four you won't understand like what i'm what my complaints are right like Mm-hmm. My the the thing that I tried to tell people in the space was this: Charles Barkley can say whatever he wants. Kendrick Perkins can say whatever he wants. They have their allegiances. They're doing their jobs. They get paid handsomely to give opinions, whether they're stupid or not, like to or or whether they're true or not, um, to give their opinions. But Anthony Davis, as a player, is who he is, and he has always been that same exact person his entire career. If you ask Pelican fans that watch the watch him on the Lakers right now, they will tell you the stuff that he does, the selective mm-hmm. motor that he has, the times where he kind of picks and chooses when he wants to kind of put his imprint on the game. Like, that's something that he did in New Orleans. And yeah. you won't hear that conversation between a Lakers fan and a Pelicans fan uh, to some degree because, you know, we've been at each other's throats after because of <laughs> the, the animosity. The, yeah. yeah, exactly. Social media does that. So, anyways, this is not a referendum on that, but the thing that I'm trying to bring up is like people are complaining that Anthony Davis isn't doing enough. That's one end of the spectrum. That's not that's true, true, right? That's clearly false. And then you have another end of the spectrum that's saying, well, Anthony Davis, he's not impactful. When he gets 25 and 10, it's not an impactful 25 10. Well, yeah. that's also another extreme. That's not true either. Like these are two extremes. That the truth is always in the middle. A D does A D have a selective motor? Absolutely. He picks and chooses when he wants to be uh, involved in the offense. The thing is, is that when we are watching as fans, when we're watching Anthony Davis be selective with his motor, even when he's playing at the five, even when he has a guy like Derrick Jones Jr. defending him or uh, in Chicago, or when he has, you know, like uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, or I think he's Jaron Jackson Jr. But Jaron Jackson, like from Memphis, and he's not punishing that matchup over and over again we're screaming at the tv what the f is anthony davis doing (laughs) but in reality that's who he is he has to be coached regardless of the fact that he's a superstar he has to be coached to be aggressive he has to be forced into sets and so when people go oh alvin gentry unlocked anthony davis yeah no shit because alvin gentry was running the same exact principles that mike d'antoni was running play fast (laughs) Go early in the shot clock. Anthony, come and screen the ball handler and go to the rim every single time. Don't worry about jump shots. Just go to the rim and Drew Holiday or Rajon Rondo or who, or you know etwan Moore or whoever it is. He's going to get you the ball. But just keep going to the rim. What about Frank Vogel? Makes and, and, and what you've seen? What Frank? You know the, the way Frank Vogel coaches. Again, we said earlier he's a diplomatic coach. What makes anybody think Frank Vogel is doing that? What makes anybody think that Frank Vogel is going to LeBron and Russ and AD saying, "Yo, I need you to run ten straight pick and rolls to start this game"? This team has no interior defense. Let's pulverize them inside. It just yeah. doesn't happen, right? Like, and so that—that's the point that I'm trying to like, like I've been trying to bring, like, with as it relates to Davis, his nature, right? His nature as a player, his human nature is what needs to be looked at, and it, it has to be worked around. And the reason why I think this is. Like, I don't even think it's a contentious argument. I think it's just something that people are having a hard time understanding because he won a championship and he puts up these super awesome numbers and stuff like that. But just look at the guy he's playing next to, Russ. The first mm-hmm. thing that we said when he got Russ, when, when Russ was traded to the Lakers, Russ has to rein back his nature. He can't just play go, 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 high motor. I'm going to attack the right It doesn't matter who's with me every single time. That same level that same expectation in a different way that same microscope that we're using we have to do that with anthony davis or else what's going to end up happening is that we're going to sit here and say oh man he's got like half of the crowd is going to say oh you know he's got like he's leading the points in the paint right and then the other half is going to be like well he's playing soft and nobody will ever come to an agreement as to what's actually happening and you know like like i've said i I tweeted about a little bit earlier like when he plays a five He's worried about hurting himself. Like, if you guys watch him, watch Caruso even last season or KCP. When you play defense, you get hurt. People elbow you in the face. Mm-hmm. You get kneed as you're going for rebounds. You could potentially turn your ankle if you're trying to block somebody and and they land on you know like they land before you. These are all basketball things that happen, and it's not intentional. It just happens. And this mm-hmm. dude doesn't want to get hurt. And look, Raj, I'll be very honest. I don't want him to get hurt either. So if yeah. he, if he's gonna play the five great, but I'm not going to get mad at him if he's not blocking every freaking shot every time somebody, you know, the defense gets compromised, because I don't need this dude getting hurt. Like, yesterday he got blocked, or Memphis, he got blocked. He's grabbing his hand. That's not the first time he's done that this season, right? And, like, Mm. and and, and that's my thing. Like, we have to understand that if you're expecting him to play a certain way, and you want him to do this non-stop, then there has to be a give and take. You can't be like, yo, Anthony Davis, like, I need you to block every shot that comes into the paint. And then I also need you to go and drop her shoulder into the other guy every single play. He's not built like that. He's just not. He's not Joel Embiid. He's not Nikola Jokic. Even those guys don't do that every single time. Embiid said that he likes to face up and shoot jumpers. So it's like, yeah. he, Jokic shoots jumpers. But we're like, oh, no, why don't you just go in there and just, you know. <laughs> right. You know, like, like a mosh pit. Like, just go in and, and bang heads with everybody. It's like, that's not reasonable to expect something like that. And it goes against his nature. And And that's why I'm always hard. Yeah. Like my long monologue. That's why I'm always hard on, uh, I'm always, always hard on Vogel because I was like, dude, Vogel has to see this. He has to recognize when he's disengaged and work around it. Either get him involved through set actions or, or go away from him. Run something with Braun and Russ. Run something with your shooters. Do something else. And, and, and I think that's going to be something that he has to figure out. Or else I do think his job would be in jeopardy, uh, Frank Vogel, if he, if he can't figure that part out.
0: Yeah, like, you know, that was that was great. That was a lot of good stuff in there. And I like I always thought I always said this with the 80 at the five stuff, because that's a point of contention with Laker fans all the time. Right. It's like, yeah, just go play the five 80. Like, like, how could you not see that's your best position? You know, you, you hear that a lot from people mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, how could you not see that's your best position? And my always thing is, first of all, when a player tells you something like I believe it, 80 has been very clear about not wanting to play the center. And I think the guy that actually goes out there and plays 35 minutes a night, like, we should listen to what he says. You know, like, there, mm-hmm. there's a reason why he doesn't want to do something. It's not just him being, you know, we throw around the word soft way too easily to me. Like, I, like calling AD soft to me is just really dumb, low-hanging fruit analysis. And that's basically what Charles Barkley was getting at, right? Like, if you read between the lines, he was basically calling AD soft in a way. You know, like, right. if you just read between those lines. And I think that's always been the wrong way to look at it. AD doesn't want to be the center, and there's reasons for that. And you saw that. In the Memphis game, and you talked about how he tries not to he tries not to get hurt, and I think that's a very clear thing that's been going on. I think that that seems like to be a reason as well. And when he's the five, he has to be the main engaged defensive guy. He's the main rim protector. I think he mm-hmm. likes to having another big next to him. As much as we hate the DeAndre Jordan stuff, AD was also clear that he was big in recruiting DeAndre Jordan. Right, that's no yep. secret. Like that he came out with that. There's no secret he recruited Andre Drummond. Right, like someone that we've been frustrated with. Dwight Howard, obviously, is a guy he likes to play next to. And, and you're right. When we went to – when we started Dwight in the second half of that Memphis game, it felt like AD's energy picked up a little bit. That,
1: that, but, is, that is specifically why I posted that clip. A, <laughs> a couple – nobody actually responded to that tweet saying that. I was waiting to see if anybody would say that because that was the one thing I noticed. When they mm-hmm. started Dwight in the second half, all of a sudden, AD's got some pep in his step. Right. His jumper looks really nice. Like, he's in, like even the passes he was making to cutters, like, they look on time, crisp. His head is up. I was like, dude, this is a completely different person that's playing right now. <laughs> and, and, and that's my thing. Like, uh, I'll, I'll let you finish it up. It's just like, you have to find that balance. And Vogel and has to figure that out. Because if you just blanketly do one thing and run that as a set rotation every single game, you are going to get mixed results. And you are going to get a disengaged Anthony Davis because he is going to go into self-preservation mode. And he's going to be like, dude, I'm not going to risk my health because people mm-hmm. already call me street clothes. And Charles Barkley's on NBA TV, uh, you know, NBA on TNT on national television, basically calling me soft. So why would I why would I just risk hurting myself and not make myself available for the playoffs? And he's 100 percent right. Like I can't get mad at him for something like that. But go, go ahead. You
0: know, like it, no, no, no. You're you're good, and that's all kind of involved in it, right? And I think uh, you're you're lower on Vogel than I am. Like I've been clear that I don't think. Not that I'm, you know, stand again. Not that I'm standing Vogel. I just think the solution isn't taking him out, right? Because I feel like sure. the replacement for Vogel isn't here. Like it just isn't. People have named. You know, Phil Handy as someone they've liked. Phil Handy, you know, he's great. I love Phil Handy. I hope he's here forever. Zero head coaching experience, right? Or, you know, <laughs> Fisdale, we've seen him in other places. Like, those are names to me that just don't get me, or even the darker names like Mark Jackson. I've heard people bring up, like, that stuff, oh, like, yeah. Oh, I hope yeah, we don't bring Mark Jackson. <laughs> exa- <laughs> no, it's not that you want those yeah. guys. It's just, like, look at the land field. You look at the, you know, field of coaches that are available and all that. Do you expect if the Lakers let Frank Gogol go, go, they go into some super deep, you know, unknown hire. Like, I don't see that happening. Like, uh, you know, they hire in-house usually. Like, vocals, kind of the rare exception to that, but they do kind of hire in-house. That's not even the point of this. I think there are things that we don't do for AD. Like, it's very clear. Like, we watch these games. The starting lineups, they have very little belief in their actions that they run, run, right? It's very little belief that anything they're doing is opening anything up, right? So their first play of every game, every game is the first play without usually fail. It's a 15-second cross-screen to get AD a post-up on the other side where the other team easily switches it. So AD really doesn't get any advantage against any player. It's a mm-hmm. post-up for AD. Usually free-throw line extended. If we're lucky, it's a little closer to the free-throw line, right? Like, yeah. But it's usually like it's free-throw line extended. It's AD with the back to his baskets. Three people in the paint already with one ready to double, right? And usually the post-entry passer, sometimes it's LeBron, sometimes it's THT, sometimes it's Avery Bradley. You know, like it's players yeah. that teams really don't care. So AD catches the ball in the post, three guys come at him, and people are like, why didn't he power to the rim? It's like, <laughs> what you know.
1: And he's, like, not, and he's not getting calls either,
0: right? So he's he, not getting calls either. Yeah, that's a separate part of it. But, yeah, and we run post-ups. And are really our only counter out of post-ups, right, is the – pin screen on the other side, but it's like Avery Bradley setting a pin screen for THT who's open anyway. Like there's no there's not even need for that. So like that's the stuff I see where we don't put him in positions as well. But some of the stuff I think it's okay to also hold AD accountable. Like to me, mm-hmm. some of the stuff he does where he like some of the screens he sets are very lighthearted. And again, maybe that's part of him not wanting to get hurt. But do you see that as well? Like I see a lot of lighthearted yep. screens where it's like a let me just get a little bit of contact and then roll like where if him if he's setting that screen and he rolls, that's a problem. That's something you have to deal with. But AD setting a half hearted screen and rolling where the big can kinda of guard him and guard Russ at the same time because yep. Russ isn't a mid range scorer. Like those are things I'm seeing and it's why I think both of us promote spacing so much now because you need it. You have three guys in the paint. AD's jumper is not in this has not entered this season yet. It's getting better. His mid range jumper I think is better yep. than people think it is. Uh but you know, we have three guys in the paint, and that's why I'm such a proponent for Wayne Ellington starting because I just think it opens up everything for everyone else. Like, if Avery Bradley's having a good game, that's fine. Like, that's not conductive to the process that we need. Like, we need Russ having like – how many times does Russ start a game well yeah. this season? Like,
1: yeah, yeah, no. It, it, people have been saying, like, that that Boston game, like, oh, Russ took over the to third. Russ has helped power thirds. But it's like the reason why Russ got off against Boston in the third quarter, and, you know, he had that three-play sequence where it's a layup, layup, dunk on, on Josh Richardson or whatever. AD is is connecting on the screen and then mm-hmm. he's slipping quickly so Robert Williams can't just you know Rob Williams, he, can't, he can't just like stand in between both of them and Russ immediately attacks the rim and he sees that Rob makes the choice of of, of closing out on AD backing up to him and Russ gets layups you know what I mean mm-hmm. but where is the commitment where is the execution where is the conviction in that play that I'm going to roll to the rim or yeah. or I'm going to pop out to the free throw line that, that is like, uh, you know, Russ had six turnovers that last game. Um, and so I went, I like, every game I do this, uh, apparently Russ does this exercise too as well. Um, and, you know, I, I did that right up a long time ago uh, about Russ and how he looks yeah. at his turnovers. Like, I watched those turnovers from the Memphis game. Four of those turnovers are, are strictly out of pick and roll. Like, Russ trying, like, two of them are him. He makes a bounce pass to AD because AD, like, he doesn't know whether he wants a rim run or pop and Russ makes a pass thinking that AD is going to rim run. AD doesn't do anything. He just stands in one spot. And it (laughs) literally goes to nobody. And then there's another one where Russ gets all the way to the paint. AD is coming baseline off the rim run, and there's like that weak side tag or whatever. But Mm -hmm. AD never seals him. He never gives Russ a good angle to to drop it to him. Because if he does, it's a dunk. And so then we turn around and we go, oh, dude, Russ, you're an idiot. Like, what are you doing? (laughs) But it's just like, it it's a dance, right? Like you have to do it together. It has the execution has to be great, and that I think that is fair. If if people look at AD, like you know, like how you're describing right now, like the, is he doing it with conviction? Is he doing it with effort? Like, right. You can. I think it's very valid to criticize him about stuff like that. I my I've actually been a proponent of like, dude, AD, if you don't want to go to the rim because you're not getting calls, and you know, like you, you just don't feel like colliding all day today just demonstrably go to the free throw line and, and Russell will give you the ball for a jumper. Like, just just make a choice. Don't waffle around in between two areas because you're just making it more difficult for everybody else. And that's aside from the floor balance and the lack of shooting and all that sort of stuff. Like,
0: he has right. to play
1: with conviction. Uh, and I, I think that's kind of, like, what you're trying to get at, like, as it comes to, like, his, his consistent effort.
0: Yeah, conviction is a good way to put it. It's just – but it's a passiveness that I don't like. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's yeah. like a – like, against Memphis, and again, look, Stephen Adams is, you know, he's a good, def- he's a good, I guess he's a good defender, but Steven Adams was giving AD, like, six foot of space, right? And usually you do that to guys you don't fear their jumper. But usually mm-hmm. you can't do that to guys like AD because they can make up that space with enough momentum, right, where they get to the basket, they can euro step, get fouled, or whatever. And AD is just looking for the dribble handoff. Like, there is no, there is zero level of aggression, like, I have Steven Adams on me. This guy should be in no way be able to guard me at all. But yep. it was it was none of that. It was like, here, let me just run this, you know, fake play, this dribble handoff with Russ that creates very little advantage because teams aren't scared of Russ coming off a screen and roll with me because they'll trap Russ and have me open for a jumper. But it's that kind of, like, you said conviction. I think that's the way, right way to put it. And blaming all, the, all our problems on AD obviously is unfair. Like, that's just not right. AD's putting up crazy numbers. And I always hate the... You know the numbers aren't real, crowd. Like I mean, yeah, numbers no, are, yeah, yeah. Only, numbers only are player, numbers, I've right? I've
1: seen that actually applies to you, but I, I'm not gonna make fun of
0: him, <laughs> right. To... Like you know, Russ putting up 25, 10, and 10 is Russ putting up 25, 10, and 10. Like that's yeah. those. You know what I mean? So like the numbers are what they are. It's just there's a there's some lack of there's some that passiveness there that I think you know can be brought up. I think blaming everything on him isn't right, but I think there are stuff we can hell hold our hold our superstar accountable for like i think that that's also fair is he putting is he being put in the perfect situations no obviously not the spacing obviously is not conductive to him it's not conductive to russ either it's not even conductive to lebron he's just drilling jumpers you know like it's our starting lineup
1: imagine if imagine if uh braun doesn't come out shooting jumpers the way he was against boston or or scoring the way that he did against memphis like those first quarters we would have been down double digits for sure like uh with with without his scoring and stuff like that. And, and I think that's the part, like, folks don't realize that we're – not that we're, we're staying afloat, but, like, Braun has been so good that we <laughs> haven't crazy. realized how the other guys have not been good in those first quarters. And that's a good sign. You know, that's something that we can carry on as, as the season goes on, that he, he looks so good and his jumpers look so good. But now we need all the other guys to kind of fall into place. And, and, and I'm hoping that that, that starts happening, um, you know, with him back.
0: Yeah, for sure. And to me, like the ceiling of this team was LeBron and AD kind of being themselves and Russ picking his spots. And that, to me, that's not really how the season has played out. It's felt like we've been carried by Russ for a lot of this season. Like, that's why it's hard for me to kind of criticize, you know, the turnovers and all that. But yeah, the AD discussion is fascinating because the numbers are what they are. You know, it, it's tough to argue with those, but we watch all these games and we understand there's places where he picks his spots and he's always going to do that. Uh, but it, it's just a tough, kind of conundrum there because you don't want him hurt right he has some knee soreness and I think there were some quotes today like he's mm-hmm. they want to make sure that's 100 percent before moving forward and that's definitely the right decision uh but it's just sucks that you know he's getting hurt now uh this should be a time the team kind of revs up but uh Vinay we're over an hour here so I feel bad I kind of taking more of your time than I promised but uh <laughs> any final thoughts here uh either this game or big picture or anything
1: yeah so uh because I know you don't want to do this I'm going to say this. Um... I, I, I don't think uh, – I'm not going to say that this is a hopefully a turning point because I know oh, that's Johnny. No. Don't, <laughs> don't dare. Don't you like dare. A, that's crazy. I'm not going to say that this is a turning point, but um, I, I think the one thing that we can kind of take away um, from from this game, granted it was OKC, uh, so I'm not going to take it too crazy. There is yeah. a version of this team that executes well. Like I'm not going to be expect Avery Bradley to and THC to be great shooters and stuff like that all of a sudden. But there, you can tell that, you know, with Reeves, with Ellington, with Monk, um, with spacing stuff like that, there is an there is a well-oiled executing machine that that's that's somewhere in this team, and and the other thing is, um, Braun has looked great. Yeah, nothing else. Like Braun has looked really good, um, Boston, Memphis, and now OKC, and uh, it is great to see that even at his year nineteen at his age, he can basically have his fingerprints um, on the personality of every single person on this roster. Just by the way he he starts a game off and, and conducts himself on the court, so that's great to see that he still has that kind of impact and, and that everybody kind of falls in. And um, you know, just I'm hoping we can string together some wins and stuff like that. I'm looking forward to it. Um, and you know, as always, I, I appreciate uh, subbing in for you guys whenever you guys need to. I hope everybody enjoyed. And uh, just remember, the basketball gods are always watching. So 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 we gotta we gotta be nice to our own players. Uh, so that we can collect this good karma on our way to a championship.
0: (laughs) Yeah, hopefully the basketball guys shine some positive light, you know, on (laughs) us going forward. Uh, Vene, I appreciate you. Appreciate everyone who came and listened uh, on a Friday night. The Lakers finally got a good win. Uh, I'm not going to use that T word that Vene used. um, But, uh, yeah, thank you, everyone, again, for listening. This will uh, will be up on the podcast feed uh, in about an hour or so. Uh, I'll get this up. This one won't be on Dash Radio because we'll have another show on Sunday. Uh, but, again, thanks, everyone. Thank you again, Vinay, uh, for subbing in. And everyone have a, a great night and a happy holidays.